Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Well, praise God. It's uh, absolutely wonderful to be here. I must compliment uh, the church leadership and particularly Candy for the excellent uh, organisation and setting up that goes on here, all the little details that you have to put together, all the crossing of T's and the dotting of I's to make something happen. So we're very excited to be here. And with me also today is is Greg, Greg uh, Rosé, uh, up the back there. Just wave to us, Greg. He's in, he's in a, a similar suit to myself. And I want to thank also Frank uh, Coleman and uh, his wife, Kate, for uh, their assistance throughout what we've been doing. Well, as, uh, as was explained, uh, we're here to talk about lifting up uh, the, the name of Jesus across Australia. Who's in favour of that? Anybody? Uh, yeah, well, I've come to the right place, so I can see that. Absolutely. And uh, we've got a little bit of a presentation to show you, and I'm going to do a bit of a revisit to what we've done, but I'm also going to ask Frank soon to come up and give a little testimony about what he saw yesterday, and also Greg to comment on what the results were from yesterday's activity. Yesterday, we ran a seminar, a mini seminar. These days, seminars don't go for three days, they only go for two hours, because everyone's moving like lightning, aren't they? And, uh, and so we had a two-hour seminar on a soul winner for Jesus, bringing others to Jesus. And uh, we had quite a gathering here, people from Gunnedah as well as people locally from Tamworth. And uh, we, we did some training uh, here and then we, we actually said, well, we're going to put legs on our prayers. Isn't that a good idea? I, I know there are many devout Christians who, who pray, who pray, uh, but after you've run the flag up the mask, you've got to get the gun out and start shooting. Now, I only use an analogy like that because I used to be an army officer, and uh, so it's no good just having smoke. You've got to have some real bullets out there, and I don't want to be too aggressive in my analogy either. And, of course, that's long behind me. I was baptised in the Holy Spirit, uh, at Canungra, just outside of Brisbane in 1974, after being witnessed to by a friend of mine, who when we went through Duntroon together, he had been a bitter atheist. Can you imagine that? A bitter atheist. And uh, I was a, a Catholic, and I would have considered myself a devout Catholic. And I went to Mass regularly in the sacraments and, and uh, confession I went to very often, because I, I was very much aware of the sin in my life, and it never seemed to go away. And anyway, when Pat turned up, I was having a chat with the Catholic chaplain that night, and I was asking him, Father, why don't we see miracles taking place in the local church the way you read about it in the early church? If you'd pressed me, I might have said the book of Acts. And, uh, and the priest gave me, the chaplain gave me no convincing reply. And at that moment, Pat Donovan walked up there in the officers' club, or the officers' mess, as they call it. It's not a mess, it's actually very tidy. And uh, he walked up... Uh, and uh, said, can I join you? I said, well, you wouldn't be interested because you're an atheist. He said, well, maybe I would. What are you talking about? And I repeated my question, why don't we see miracles taking place in the local church the way you read about it in the early church? He said, I can answer that. And I thought he was going to say something very unkind, actually. And he said, the reason you don't see miracles taking place in many local churches the way you read about it in the early church is because they don't have the Holy Ghost with them the way he was with them back then. And I said, I thought you were an atheist. He said... I was, but I met Jesus six months ago. Well, he had my attention. And, uh, and the priest threw a few little things at him, and he, he knocked him down everything uh, that that priest said in five minutes flat. He'd learned a lot of Bible in six months. He was a pretty bright sort of guy. And uh, he, he knocked down all my arguments, and, 
and I was left defenseless. And I said, well, what do I got to do? Remember that famous statement from Acts chapter 2, verse 37? Brothers, what are we to do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins, and you'll be given the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said something to that effect. He said, all you need to do is forsake your sin, turn to God, and he'll be waiting for you and ask Jesus into your heart. So I went away to my room that night, and I confessed Christ uh, there. I still, there's another officer. We sort of shared two to a room, and he was snoring away, but I wasn't snoring, I can tell you. And as I was kneeling down on that hard floor, I gave my life to the Lord. And next morning, I woke up a totally new man. It's like dark glasses have been taken off my eyes. And, and, and I, I was more a, 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 um, a track, not a track, not a track man, but a field man in athletics. You know, I used to throw things. I didn't run that much. And I tell you what, I went out for a run with my fellow officers that morning, and I beat them all. How about that? You know, because the burden of my sin had what flown away. Glory to God. And I never stopped talking about Jesus ever since. So what I want to tell you is that when you get full of the Holy Ghost, the overflow is to lift up the name of Jesus, because He says, if if I am lifted up. I'll draw all men and women and young people to me. And that's exactly what we're doing in Tamworth yesterday. So, Frank, come and tell us what your impressions were. You've got three minutes, brother. And uh, I'm t- tell you that Andrew will drag you off the platform if you take any longer. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, we just, um, we just sang a song this morning, like, you know, about draw me out on the waters and... and um, Sometimes we get taken out of our comfort zone, right? And we don't really like it, but, but God really says it's necessary. And yesterday, I, was, I must admit, I was a little out of my comfort zone. I really have no problem at all talking to people about Jesus anywhere, anytime. Uh, but just because of the way that we were doing it, using our phone, using slides on our phone, and, and sometimes using a little book, that was something different for me, and it was a little bit challenging. Um, but I found it was really, really great. I mean, after all, you know, we want to see people saved. Uh, people spend a lifetime um, serving in the lifesavers and training hard, and, and they risk their own life sometimes going out to rescue people. We don't have to face quite as dramatic challenge as that, but we are rescuing people from a lost eternity when we go out and speak about Jesus. And so yesterday I went with Nathan, and, and or Nathan came with me and, and, and Joseph, and, and we went and we, we chatted to a number of people and uh, guess what? We're still alive. Nobody actually executed us. Nobody hit us. Nobody really threatened us. Uh, and it was actually really remarkable just how soft people were and the questions that we asked. Uh, it was just so simple. And really, it's for anybody. And, and, you know, some of us like challenges, some don't. For those that like it, here's a great challenge for you to take this up this morning. And for those that don't, well, you know, we need to come out of our comfort zone sometimes and, and make a start. And once we make that start, well, it's just one foot after the other and we just keep going forward. So yesterday was a great experience, new to me, and all that went down there, few with trepidation, first time they've done anything like that, but they absolutely loved it as well and, and thought it was great, a great experience. Thanks, well, thank you. Well, well done, Frank, and thanks so much for being up with us. And uh, we had a really good turn up yesterday, close to 20 people involved. Greg, Greg is our local coordinator and he's been... Uh, uh, getting together people from a variety of churches to help them become equipped to be soul winners for Jesus. So tell us about your impressions of yesterday, Greg. Thanks so much, Tony. And look, a blessing upon this church uh, for the members that came out yesterday is absolutely fabulous. Um, what we do, and I hope, hopefully Tony will talk a bit more about how we operate, but uh, I'll just give you some numbers now. We, we had nine partial presentations, and Tony will talk on the gospel, 
Uh, we had uh, 10 full presentations. In other words, they get to a, a point where they um, come to the sinner's prayer. And of those, um, well, we had an extra seven that actually said the sinner's prayer. So praise God. Um, the other thing we do is uh, we actually give out some information cards. Um, some people say, oh, you know, I'm really not interested. We said, well, well, you know, if you think about it, here's a card. Um, look it up on the, on the web and uh, just see what you think. Or, you know, we may be back in the streets in a week's time, two weeks' time. Uh, if you feel it on your heart, please come and talk to us. Uh, so, look, that's it. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Well done, Greg. So in the, in the time left to us uh, this morning, I'm just going to talk about two things, what we did yesterday and how you can be involved. Okay, so just hold on to those thoughts. So first of all, as you can see on the screen, uh, there are three ways to be involved in what we're proposing, which any church can do. And as I say, Australia for Jesus exists because we need, we're told by God, to raise up the soul winners with their pastors in the local church, okay? So three ways to be involved is pray for the lost. That is, pray for those who are lost souls. Never give up praying for them. Don't become judgmental about them. It's very easy to. Sometimes we forget the pit that we've been dug from ourselves, and uh, we've got to put all that out of our head. That's from the devil, and just pray for them like there's no tomorrow, because in fact, for them, there is no tomorrow. And uh, then we need to present the gospel. And what we'll touch on this morning is how just on your mobile phone you can use a simple but meaningful presentation of the gospel called the way of life, which draws people into the conversation properly, a non-manipulative, clear, compassionate, compelling and complete presentation of the gospel called the way of life. And if you're not into mobile phones, well, we've got a little booklet you can use as well. And if people are in a hurry, we've even got a little... Uh, a little card that you can give them with your name and telephone number on the back, or if you like, uh, your email, and they can look up a film of that available to them. The whole idea is that we believe, brothers and sisters, that the days uh, are evil and the day of, of uh, evil is at hand, that darkness will have its hour. Jesus said that before he was taken to the cross. And uh, that we are going to be shining as lights in this wicked and perverse world and bring many to Jesus as the, the uh, age begins to close. Many of us have that view. You may not all share that, but uh, keep, keep uh, reading the papers and you'll talk, see what I mean. And read Matthew 24, you'll see what I mean. So, and the other thing is we parent new believers. We don't leave babies on other people's doorsteps. We look after them. I was just so excited. I was in Orange uh, a couple of weeks ago with Martin Tui. Couldn't be here. He was unwell. He had to go back to, to Orange. And uh, Martin Tui and I, we, we were staging something. We had a, met in a church called The Upper Room. That's a good name for a church, don't you think? The Upper Room. And, uh, and we went out and, and the, the pastor's wife came with me. The pastor was a bit, you know, indifferent about what we were doing. And uh, the pastor's wife came out with me wondering what would happen. And uh, we, we had a cup of coffee first and the two of us went out. And uh, the first uh, person we met was a, a man with... Uh, a very, very fierce look on his face and two snarling dogs. And he wasn't interested, funny enough. <laughs> he said, you're wasting your time, mate. You're wasting your time. So uh, I, I let people say that twice and then I move on. So I went on and there was another lady wearing a mask, not uncommon these days. She had a look at the uh, beginning of the presentation, shook her head and walked on. 
Okay, but then we came to a man, and this, this pastor was thinking, you know, two rejections is actually serious. You know, I've had many, many rejections. You know, I, I don't feel rejected, by the way. I'm looking for the one that God is calling. Isn't that the way to look at it? The Lord knows those that are His. So the next person I went on is a young man, pretty buffed, actually, you know, tight shirt, you know, obviously no fat around the middle. And uh, he, he was there, and uh, his name was Anders. And I said, look, uh, my name's Tony. I'm just showing this little presentation called The Way of Life. Just like to ask a couple of questions, see what you think. And the first question is, what do you think is the point of life? And uh, he said, I've been wondering about that all my life, you know. I had a near-death experience when I was 11 years of age, and he pointed to two scars, one on the top of his head, one in his, in his neck area. I've been wondering. And I said, well, let's explore this. We went through the whole presentation. He very sincere. He was a PhD in microbiology. You can't get more intelligent than that, brothers and sisters. And uh, he, he was a bright sort of guy, and he accepted the gospel immediately. So what I'm saying is that people who, who come up with the excuse, oh, nobody's interested out there, we find one in five people that we talk to will entertain either a partial or full presentation. A lot of people will take one of these cards. People are interested. They've seen the events that have been taking place in the world today. And in Canberra, we sometimes find 60% of the people that we show the way of life presentation to will actually pray the sinner's prayer there on the spot. Yesterday it was about it was about seventy um, percent, wasn't it, Greg? Seventy percent. So that's pretty pretty good, isn't it? I mean, uh, one guy rang me up. He was running another ministry in evangelism. He said, "We get nothing like that. Are you sure you're telling them the gospel?" <laughs> I said, "We're absolutely sure." So, give you an example. What we do is we tr we train a group. That's a group in Canberra that we're training. Then we, we spend time praying. So we do everything we talk about. We don't just say talk about it and leave you with the concept. And then we go out. We usually have a cup of coffee before we go out on the streets. This is in Civic in Canberra. And then after we're finished, we get together and rejoice what God's done. Okay, you see that's a pretty, pretty healthy looking group there. And they were, they were really excited about what was going on. So I've just referred to this way of life presentation. You can put it on your phone. You can put it on an Android phone. You can put it on an iPhone. And it's readily available too. It's called the way of life. And we use that term because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So it fits right in, as you would agree. And so, as I said, the very first question we ask is, what is the point of life? And one man we spoke to yesterday was get married, have kids, reproduce, and then die. That was his, that was his answer to the point of life. And, and I don't know if you know Michael Harris. Michael Harris was with me. And we were, we were late getting back to meet with Greg and the rest of the team. There were about 15 or 16 people waiting for us and we were going to go back. But there was this man and he was just finishing a cigarette and uh, we started talking to him. And uh, that's what he said. The, the whole point of life is to reproduce, ha you know, have kids. We got it in the right order to get married, have kids, uh, reproduce, have kids, and then, that's, and then die. I said, well, that, that's very interesting. So we went through the questions that are there. What do you think happens after you die? Well, hopefully he says you'll go to heaven. Notice that word, hopefully. You know, he wasn't too sure. And uh, I said, well, look, uh, how do you know that's the truth? And uh, do you think God exists? Is there a heaven and a hell? And he answered very positively in relation to those. And if you were to die, to, and then I said, does everyone automatically go to heaven when they die? And he said, um, well, really, uh, how can you know for sure? Uh, you know, I'm really relying on the fact that I've, I've been a good boy and uh, relatively good sort of good. He kept uh, diminishing the size of the good. And, uh, and I said, well, what if you were to die tonight and, and God was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? He said, well, I'd refer back to my last statement. <laughs> and uh, from there on, we went up and, and gloriously he came to Christ. Gloriously he came to Christ. And Michael, 
Michael has been given unusual compassion for souls. He couldn't hold back the tears when this man confessed Christ. So what I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, what we're talking about is not some sort of theory. It's the real thing. By the way, we tell people you can't make yourself good enough for God. Can you read the fine print there on the screen? Not the really fine print, but the one just below the heading. You actually can't make yourself good enough for God. And we explain to them that um, an analogy, a, a playful analogy, we use the, the cake here. See the cake there? Now, I know just looking around, it wouldn't be on anyone's diet here, a cake like that. And more particularly so because someone put kerosene or the, the equivalent of a diesel on the cake. How much do you think you could put on the cake to ruin the cake? What do you reckon? A teaspoon? A teaspoon has seeped right through it. And you say, this tastes of something bad. So you wouldn't eat it. And, and so we, we go into these analogies of sin using the way of life, but we don't spend all that time on sin. We get to the solution fairly quickly. And if you want to get access to that, if you want to pick up the, uh, one of these little bands from Greg at the stand, you can do that. Uh, it's got our afj.org.au. You can just load it up on your phone straight away. There, it's, there it is on the screen, afj.org.au. And uh, now we, we want to go to a, a bit of a message shortly, but just before I do, a couple of things that you can pick up at our stand afterwards. We have um, a book called The Touch of His Hand, which is great for Christians to take people through. We've got a lot of questions, the touch of his hand. And uh, we also have a free book called Turning the Tide, which tells you about what the secular humanists, read atheists, have been planning for quite some time to undermine, deliberately undermine Christianity in Australia. They're free. That's the best price we can offer, by the way. If anyone can beat that, I'd like to hear from you. And, uh, and also there's a little copy of The Way of Life that you can, if, if you sign up for Australia for Jesus today, we can give you a copy of that as well. So let's get back to that scripture that we were looking at before. And this is a scripture, I just want to check the time. Is there a, a little indicator for me to know how much time I've got? I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, okay, we, we're finishing right on 8.25, are we not? About that, okay. Here is, here is Matthew chapter 4 starting at verse 13, right? And it says that leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. We all remember this. this is a very familiar scene. This is after the temptation in the wilderness uh, by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, right? And this was done to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light those living in the land of the shadow of death, to them a light has dawned. And that's Jesus' very presence amongst those people. And when you go out naming the name of Jesus, you are talking to the people who are living in darkness. And when you go out and declare the name of Jesus to those who are under the shadow of death, the shadow of death doesn't mean to say that death's arrived, but it's going to. The shadow is already over their life. And we're talking about spiritual death not just physical death, you can be, as you take Jesus to them, the light that dawns. And it's just amazing to see what will happen if you step out with others, take the right sort of training, just so that you, because training's designed to build confidence. Do you know that? It's designed to build confidence. And uh, without training, we will, we will falter. I remember once being at the... Uh, the Tumbarumba Show. And I'm a city slicker, which is not a good place thing to have to admit with you around people at Tamworth. But uh, I was a city slicker and 
they, they had this thing at Tumbarumba where you grabbed a chainsaw and you had to saw through this huge log and as fast as anything. And I thought, that looks easy. Well, I was still doing it after they'd done two or three other competitions. So, you know, a bit of training goes a long way. I, I just didn't, I thought it looked easy. It, did, it wasn't easy. And I remember the guy sort of uh, gave me, you know, not third prize, not fifth prize, not six, there was no seventh prize. So I'm just saying if we, if, we, if, we, if we take the time to be trained, and Jesus spent quite a bit of time with his people, so to spend two or three hours being trained is not a, not a hard thing to do. And, and Greg is very good at it, and Frank is getting hold of it. So is Daniel, and uh, sorry, is, uh, Nathan rather. So is Chris, and uh, so is Michael, and, and so many others that were out with us yesterday. Um, Thomas and Joseph and Faina and Suli. Uh, from the Solomon Islands and Fiji were there. And those guys are terrific, you know, and just so wanting and willing to communicate Jesus to others. So here we are. It says that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? We won't go into right just that now. And it says, as he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother. Uh, they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Notice that at once they heard it from him. There must have been when that voice spoke to them and said, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. When they heard that voice, can you imagine what it's like? You know, down tools, we're off immediately. At once. There was no hesitation. There was no disobedience. There was no, look, I'll have to go and ask my mother or father or brother about that. It was at once. They left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of son of Betty, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing this little passage, which is very familiar to all of us, is that the Son of God's greatest and highest priority is to win souls. His whole reason for coming to be amongst us is to bring people to salvation. It's not to set up a nice lifestyle, although the blessedness of God that comes into our life when we're set free from sin is, is legendary. More should be written about it. More should be on display. You know, the, the, the greatness of that blessing that's conveyed to us and the impact upon our families and upon our finances and upon our friendships and upon our businesses is, you know, without any contradiction, any fear of contradiction is, is enormous. But the core of it all is to see that poor sinners who are trapped in darkness are set free. Imagine if Pat Donovan hadn't spoken to me that night. And I was left in the darkness of religion. I was just talking to Nathan about that earlier. You know, he was in the darkness of religion for years. Didn't know it was a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Didn't know that at all. So come, Jesus is saying, and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The very first words he speaks to his disciples. And if we're any doubt about that, if we go to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Now is the time. The kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe the gospel. That's, that's the first thing that he says in Mark chapter 1. So it must be uppermost on his mind. And the last thing he says in Mark chapter 16 is, Go ye and preach the gospel to everyone. 
And he who believes and is baptised shall be saved, and he that does not believe shall be condemned. So that's pretty serious outcomes, isn't it? So what we're trying to say is the first and last thought of the Son of God is all about souls. Isn't it a good idea for our first and last thought to be about souls too? You know, obviously we want to live lives of obedience. We don't want to live lives of the contradiction. It's about souls. You know, Paul put it very clearly in, in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he added, of course, I'm the chief of that. He came into the world to save sinners. You've been born again to save sinners. As Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, put it, we are born to reproduce spiritually. Now, some people will say, well, look, I'm not meant to be an evangelist. You know, you're an evangelist, Tony, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't know whether I'm an evangelist. I know I'm a soul winner, and you can be a soul winner too. You know, who's heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon, very fun, the Prince of Preachers. You know what he, he wrote a book called The Soul Winner. Now, there's a good book. You ought to rush out and get that. And uh, the Soul Winner book begins with the statement, the chief business of every Christian minister is to be a winner of souls. In fact, the chief business of every true believer is to be a soul winner. So he, that's what he said. So uh, I've got Jesus' words, I've got Charles Haddon Spurgeon's words, and I mean, you can take mine for it as well if you like. But I reckon I've got pretty good evidence there. So let's look at this particular passage. The very first thing you can do, Jesus says, is come. And come means coming to him. Come to me, Jesus says. If we come to him and be with him, there's, there's a power transfer that takes place. I remember in 1998, uh, the Lord said, come and meet with me at the church early. Now, Saturday mornings this was, and the church had a medicine need. This is Life Source Christian Church in, in Chatswood. And so I went along, and the pastor very kindly gave me the key to the, uh, the, the church and the alarm and all that sort of thing. And I'd be waiting on the Lord, and, and I, if I told you the things that happened in those hours that I was with the Lord, you wouldn't believe me. So I'll move on from that. But one of the things was I remember being so motivated to be with the Lord that I got there at 4.30 a.m. in the morning. I thought that was worthy of being made a saint, you know, being 4.30 in the morning. But the Lord beat me there every time. And, and it was just amazing, the impact. Consequent to that, we formed, uh, other people had started to join me. We formed, and, and we had 20 people not coming at 4.30 a.m. I might have, we, we changed it to a decent hour, about 6.30 or 7. But... What I'm trying to say is this team of about 20 people developed. They became a harvest team, and eventually we had 30 or so people involved in running Alpha courses in our church, and we ran 34 Alpha courses over a 10-year period, and the church went from 250 to 750. That's three times the growth of a church at that time. It's much bigger than that now. And, of course, a lot of that had to do with the, you know, the magnificent preaching of Pastor John Giuliano, but we had a part in making sure there was a front-door ministry to that church, that there was always new people coming, and sometimes we had as many as 90 people attending the Alpha course in that church. That's a lot. So what I'm trying to say is we come to him, you know, unless the Lord builds a house, we labour in, lab in vain that, that, that labour, that, that build it. But what, what is being conveyed here is that as we draw near to him and he draws near to us, there's a power transfer and the presence of God comes. And we used to so look forward to our prayer meeting every Wednesday afternoon because when you got there, the, the Holy Spirit would fall upon you like, like golden rain as we stepped through into the prayer room. So the best way to be a soul winner is to, is to come to him. And what are the outcomes of that sort of thing? Well, I remember uh, around about that time, uh, a young man was at the, uh, on the front lawn of my house 
uh, hitting a ball around with my son Benjamin. And uh, Benjamin is now a colonel in the army and this other man was a top engineer in the State Rail Authority at one stage, now doing consulting work for the Defence Department. Now, that young man, I heard him say something about, because Benjamin wanted to show him the herd of guinea pigs we had. The reason we had a herd is against my wife's advice, I bought a pair of guinea pigs, a black male and a white female. And before long, we had a herd and I had to build another cage for my son, John. And that went, you could actually hear them galloping. You know, there were so many of them. It was a stampede. And, and, and Benjamin said, look, I want to show you something, Peter. He took Benjamin, they took Peter up to the cages and they all headed off into the corner. I mean, the, the guinea pigs did. And they put their little heads down as if, you know, if they couldn't see Peter and, and Benjamin, then Benjamin and Peter couldn't see them. And Benjamin said, look at these stupid animals. He thought it was a great joke. And, and Peter said, well, maybe evolution will be kind to them. And I said, do you really, Pete? I was in earshot. And I said, did you really hear that, Peter? Did you, do you really believe that? He said, well, is there an alternative? I said, God made those guinea pigs, Peter, and they're reproducing after their own kind. They'll never be anything other than guinea pigs. And he said, do you believe in God? I said, Peter, I don't just believe in God. I know God. He said, can a man really know God, Mr. McLennan? And I said, well, Peter, I'll give you a challenge. Why don't you sit down with me? And we'll go through the Gospel of John together. I had a copy of it here. And uh, I believe God will reveal himself to you. So we set a date the following Wednesday night. He came over. We went through some things, had a bit of a discussion. Peter, would you like to come back? He said, yes, I would. So he came back the following Wednesday night. And I was rabbiting on about something in John chapter 2. And uh, Peter said, suddenly, suddenly this presence fell around him. And Peter, in his heart, said, my God, you're real. And then he said, he felt the deep, deep disappointment of the Lord. And he said, I'll never disappoint you again. That was his repentance. And he said, when I walked out of that room that night, I knew that I knew God. I knew that I was a Christian. As he walked home, he was expecting the presence of God was so strong upon that young man that he expected an angelic visitation at any time. His mother described it. It was like he was in love, but deeper in love than ever she'd seen anyone in love. And all of the family, every one of them, came to Christ, including his father, who had been a Catholic priest. Now, that's a big, that's a big call, isn't it? Someone who'd been a Catholic priest coming to the Lord like that. So what I'm trying to say is when you come to Jesus, he'll come to you and the outcomes will be miraculous, Right? The next thing he says is, follow me. Now, the great thing about Jesus is he, he sets a great example, doesn't he? So he's not just saying, follow me in terms of following me around, you know, or follow me on Twitter, or follow me on Facebook, or, or just walk around where I'm walking around. He says, do what I do. That's what he's saying. And he was always a great one for the individual. Isn't that true? Uh, take, for example, Nathaniel. He saw Nathaniel under the fig tree before Philip called him, did he not? He saw the woman at the well before he ever got to that village in Samaria. He, he saw the blind man who'd been cast out of the temple before he ever been cast out of the temple. He saw Nicodemus coming up the road before he ever arranged. He saw Zacchaeus up a tree before Zacchaeus uh, even thought that he was going to be up a tree. He saw you when you came to know Jesus. He saw you as the father saw his son a long way off. So what we're saying here, and of course he saw Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. What we're saying, the individual, don't despise the day of small things. 
one individual. When I went home to see my parents, they were bitterly disappointed that I left the Catholic Church. Bitterly disappointed. They gave me the, uh, the upper room, would you believe, uh, to sleep in. And it had a whole lot of statues. And I got the statues and put them on top of the wardrobe because I didn't want them looking at me during the night. The Holy Spirit made me feel very uncomfortable with statues. And they were very grumpy about this. My father and mother thought I dishonoured the household gods. And uh, so the next day I was there in the kitchen having a cup of tea. My mother makes a great cup of tea, or did. And uh, I was in my captain's uniform and, and she started telling me about boys from my Christian Brothers College that I went to and how they'd gone off the rails. One was a drunk, one was uh, divorced, one was into drugs. And, and uh, she was just talking matter-of-factly about these boys. And all of a sudden... The Holy Spirit came upon me and I began to cry uncontrollably. And in fact, the tears all down the front of my nicely ironed captain's shirt. And that was ruined. So I don't have to change that for sure. And she said, what is it, Anthony? That's my family name. What is it, Anthony? I said, it's the Holy Ghost. He's weeping for these lost souls. She didn't know what to do. She went back to peeling her carrots, which is what she'd been doing. And uh, she said, if you can do something for your sister, I'll know that whatever you're into is really from God. So the... um, I got up immediately and rang my sister. I hear you're into some funny religion, she said. I said, I've been born again. I already know the Lord. He's real. Heaven and hell is real. God is real. And uh, I want to tell you about it. She said, well, come on over. So I thought that's a door wide enough to drive a truck through. What do you reckon? So I went over there. She had a beautiful lunch set out and uh, got in, uh, sat down. She dived into the meal with a knife and fork. I said, hold on, hold on. Can we just give thanks for the food? And she put her knife and fork down with attitude. Anyone ever seen someone do that? Attitude? Uh, as if she didn't want to do it. And, 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 I, and I said, well, let's just pray. I said, Father, I pray your blessing on this food and upon the hands that prepared it in Jesus' name. Amen. A very short prayer. I looked up. Tears were streaming down her face. The Holy Ghost had got her. And uh, she said, I want to know him the way you know him. And immediately I was able to lead her to Jesus with a prayer. She got up, took everything evil out of the house. She even had occult books and burned them straight away. So what I'm trying to say to you, brother, you get on God's side, you start following him. He's for the individual. He'll do the same for you. Don't think I'm in any way special, okay? And then the next thing Jesus says, this is the part I like. The first part of the things you do. You come to him, you follow him. But what does he do? He says, I will make you. I will make you. That means that his hand upon you will cause miracles to happen that you'll be amazed about. You're probably wondering how my parents reacted to the statues and to my sister Joan becoming uh, a Christian. Well, they came up to Townsville. They came to the Assemblies of God Church, as it was called at that time. They now use the word Australian Christian Churches. And my father and mother went forward at the altar call. And my father was so fully baptised in the Holy Spirit, he could barely speak in English for three days. And he wore a cross for the rest of his life, which was much extended because God caused him to give up smoking. And uh, he, he would tell everyone about Jesus for the rest of his life. It's not a family trait. It wasn't a family trait. It was God at work, you see. So I will make you, he says. I will make you. And then the last thing he offers is that you will have a crop of souls in your life. You'll have people who are going on for God and doing the job continually because uh, of that anointing that he has placed on you. Isn't that exciting, sisters and brothers? Isn't it exciting that, uh, that, that, that we can be instruments of his power and might? Don't look upon me as anyone special. I don't, I'm just an ordinary guy. And, but I tell you what, uh, what we find is if we keep putting one foot in front of another, 
He'll grant that to you as an everlasting inheritance. And Tamworth is in that, and Gunnedah's in, in that, and Armadale, and all the towns around here. All we need is for the saints to rise up. Now, my final point is this. Some, a little while ago when I was still CEO of Bible League, I had a dream. I dreamed a dream. Now, this is very scriptural to dream a dream. You know, young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. I'm sure you're familiar with that. And in this dream, I saw a book, a brilliantly white book coming down from above. And, uh, and, and on the book was the word God written across the top in brighter letters than the brightness of a book. So if you can imagine something burning like magnesium and something like an arc welder burning, it was that bright. And underneath it, I could see the letters capital R-E-V, but I couldn't read the rest of it, it was so bright. And a voice spoke through the book. And I believe this should give you great heart, brothers and sisters. The voice spoke through the book and the voice said, they, and I immediately knew when God, God, this was God's voice, and he was referring to the world, they have had their sexual revolution. He then said, they've had their socialist revolution. Then he said, they have had their secular humanist revolution, meaning atheist revolution. And then he said, now is the time for the God revolution. Isn't that great, brothers and sisters? Now is the time for the God revolution. Now is the time. Don't leave it off. The harvest is not just white. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is great. And the receptivity out there is enormous. And if we will get out there, God will raise up a standard against the enemy and we'll see many, many people swept into his kingdom, swept into salvation, coming into the arms of Jesus because you testified for him and you stood up for him. Remember, in the last days, the characteristics of God's people would say that they were... They, they overcame the enemy, the dragon, by what? The blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto the point of death. What that means is they're not going to say, they're not going to have a heart attack to go and talk to someone on the street. That's, that's one of the aspects of not loving your life unto death. That means that you're prepared to put to death the claims of the soul and let the spiritual man or woman come to the fore. So we're out of time, so we must pray. Loving Father, we thank you for everyone who's here that's come within the sound of this message this day. We pray, Lord, that what will sink deeply into their souls will be the reality that they belong to Jesus, that the lamb that was slain has an inheritance in them and that he is calling them to the marriage supper of the lamb and that they will not come empty-handed. They will bring with them those that they have led to Christ, those that they have influenced for Christ, those that they prayed for for Christ. Oh Lord, that your supper, your marriage supper will be full. And we pray, Lord, for everyone here who may be fearful or doubting, that that, that attitude will just flee away as your Holy Spirit brings to them strength and power and love and discipline of mind to do the work that is ahead of us. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.